Welcome to Bible Banter with Barb and Jarrett, a Lenten podcast for 2020 from the Episcopal Church of St. Martin in the Fields in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Today's podcast is for Palm Sunday, Year A, focusing on the Passion Gospel reading from Matthew, chapter 27, verses 11 through 54. Listen in. Hello and welcome to Bible Banter with Barb and Jarrett here at Church of St. Martin in the Fields with a special guest this week. We've got the Reverend Amy Yoder McLaughlin zooming in from Fraser Mennonite Church in Malvern. Uh, Amy and I did this for a lot of years together. How many years, Amy, do you think we did Bible together? Six. Six? I think we had six years of Bible study starting with a Mennonite, a Lutheran, and an Episcopalian. It was a lot of fun. I <laughs> miss it still. Good times. <laughs> so I'm Jarrett, and there's Barb. Barb. Hey. Barb is also on Zoom. We hope our sound quality is okay. We'll do our best. Our scripture for this Sunday as we head towards Holy Week is the Passion. The story of the last period of Jesus's life from the triumphal entry into Jerusalem through the Last Supper, the trial, the stations of the cross and into the crucifixion on Calvary. That's a lot of text, so we're not going to read it out loud for you. We direct you to your Bibles. If you'd like to open up to Matthew chapter 27 and following, you can read through it. You will get lots of liturgical opportunities to hear these texts in the days upcoming. So our, we're going to be a little more thematic today on Bible banter. We're going to look at the big picture of the Passion. What does it have to teach us? What are we learning as we follow these uh, vicious, violent, and horrific events when our Savior, who we love, is uh, treated in the worst way a human can be treated? So I'm going to start today, and Amy and Barb are going to jump in as well. My reflections begin with a book I read um, this last summer. It was called... Torture and the Eucharist by William Cavanaugh. What he does in this book is he looks at the church in Chile during the dictatorship of Pinochet. And if you know any bit about that history, you know that that regime used torture to eliminate any opponents to its rule. And the book reflects that the purpose of torture is not really to get information because we know that people under torture do not give accurate intelligence to the police. It's used to create a regime of fear and fear, regime of fear and terror so that all the people who might resist oppression are scattered by that fear. All of the alternative communities like the church are meant to break down in the face of state terror, meaning the state can do whatever it wants without resistance. 
And the author contrasts this with the church and with the Eucharist. And remember, the Eucharist is a celebration of the Passion, right? It's a representing of the Passion. And the Eucharist brings a community together and establishes its distinctive character. It creates the body of Christ as a witness to truth that is not afraid, that is willing to take risks for the sake of community and love and compassion against all the forces of terror and fear. So let's start off at that place with this discussion of the passion. What do you guys think? I, I resonate with that. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to speak as a Mennonite, obviously, uh, but we do a lot of uh, avoiding of the cross, I find, in my tradition. Um, we're in the process of working on a new hymnal in the denomination, and I was looking at the old hymnal, uh, which I have loved for many years, and realized that they took out all the songs about the cross. Um, because all the songs about the cross were about blood and, um, we wanted a new theology, but we just took out the old stuff and didn't put in the new stuff. Um, so I'm recognizing there's a big vacuum in my tradition of like how we're talking about the passion and about the cross. Um, so I, I think some of what you're saying relates to some of what I brought this, uh, this afternoon. Um, I have a quote from James Allison, my favorite nonviolent atonement theologian. Uh, So let me just read that. It's kind of long, but not so long. Uh, He says, so when we talk about uh, the cross, what Jesus did for us, one of the things he was doing by going to his death and allowing himself to be seen on the third day, one of the things he did was to create for us the possibility of believing in one who is not run by death, who is not run by scandal, who is not run by shame, who is not run by disgrace, and therefore who makes all of those realities non-toxic for us. Wow. The whole purpose of being able to accompany Jesus to Jerusalem, as it were, in our passion, uh, and to live through Holy Week so that we can see what for me is the equivalent of evil Knievel going into a motorcycle across the Grand Canyon. (laughs) It can't be done until you see it done. And then once it's done, it gradually gets easier and easier. And the record keeps on being broken more and more easily as we learn how to imitate because we believe it can be done. We Hmm. forget this, that we're being given the gift of faith, not as a demand to be stressed, but because Hmm. someone wants us to be able to cope with the dark places without being run by them. Wow. Thank you. Mm, I love that. Ah, that's brilliant. It's, it's, it's like the passion story. Holy Week is a model for us how to live our lives. Yeah. Um, not like it, it's a nice alternative to me having grown up in fundamentalism of like Jesus died for your sins. You need to feel really bad about that to <laughs> no, Jesus taught us how to live. Yeah. And the passion story is teaching us how to live without fear, without letting the empire and the, um, the systems that enslave us. Uh, own us. Wow, that's so good. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. So what? So so what is so important in that? Why the cross is so important in that? 
imagery, having the cross present and having the cross visible is that of the great reversal of what happens to that symbol of torture. Mm. So, so what does the community around Jesus immediately do and immediately start reflecting on? They start reflecting on the great reversal, mm. that this instrument of torture is not going to be for us a sign of life that death no longer has a sting, that we live in the practice of dying because on the other side of that is always resurrection. It is this incredible and immediate claiming of life from this traumatic place. And that, I, I totally agree with you, Amy. I think that that is, that is absolutely how we're to live fearlessly mm. in a world that is constantly threatening to kill us. Wow, thanks, Barb. And- yeah. And I think it has practical ramif I mean very practical ramifications for me. Like it this understanding of the cross is why I became an activist. Hmm. Because if I see the cross not as this thing uh to stay away from, to be afraid of, but as some as like something to go towards, yeah. then I feel like I have uh the faith and the strength and the courage to do things and not be afraid. Right. It's, it's such a resource for us as Christians. Mm-hmm. So here is Jesus, the very embodiment of God's love, the very embodiment of right relationship with God and neighbor, being utterly abused and confronting every oppressive power, every power of empire and oppression that is meant to dehumanize. And he withstands all the dehumanizing force against him nonviolently. I think we'd say that nonviolently, you know, in the garden, he refuses the sword. Peter offers the sword and he refuses it. A pivotal moment. Uh, The other pivotal moment is I could call down legions of angels and I'm not going to do it Mm -hmm. because I don't believe in violent domination. That's not what my love looks like. And what I love in the story is how all through his torture and death, Jesus is still in his godliness demonstrating the opposite. He's bringing community together when the terror of the state wants to drive it apart. So at first, of course, his disciples scatter and we can't blame them. No, I don't blame them. (laughs) We would have done the same thing. Right. It's terrifying. Yeah. We run, run is smart, right? Mm -hmm. But there is Jesus on the cross also saying, this is your mother. Mm. He's making a new family at the foot of the cross. Mm. He's forgiving. He's doing reconciling work from the cross. You know, he stays true to himself and his mission all the way through when most of us in shame and fear and terror, who knows what we would say and do, um, I always look to the uh, Last Supper. Here he is giving the gift of this way of interpreting his death to his people, a nurturing interpretation, by the way, a loving interpretation, when I would be hiding under the table, shaking. Yeah. I'm thinking, too, that even as, as Jesus walks into the, walks towards the cross and, and keeps inviting community, God keeps offering community a choice to say yes or no, this this accept or reject. And there's 
And, and so God is walking sort of willfully into rejection in a lot of ways, even as God invites community in Jesus, so that by the time Jesus's life is just spending out and spending out and spending out, there's been so much rejection, this very last moment. And I think um, it's uh, Michael Ramsey that I'm thinking of, who is a, a former presiding bishop of, of the Anglican Church. Um, Archbishop of Canterbury. In the Catholic Church. Mm. Um, the Church of England, I guess, but writes in the gospel in the Catholic Church that this that this sort of final agony, this this just final rejection is is Jesus most human, that, that most fully realizing God, most fully realizing in this incarnate way what it truly is to be human is to feel the great, the, the, the greatest agony of rejection. And in that thread of just being so alone the turn and the pivot, the thing that God does that restores that community, there's only one, there's only one thing God can do, and that's forgive. Mm. So it's in this moment of forgiveness that the rejection is rejected. Hmm. You know, that, that, that um, the final sting, the final act that humans can do against one another loses its power to defeat people and God. It's right. that forgiveness moment. Yeah. And I want to I want to circle back to that. I want to end this podcast on that question of rejection and how people can take this scripture in to help them with that. Also take the scripture in to help them with um, standing strong in the face of fear and uh, mm-hmm. things that drive us apart and take away our solidarity with our neighbor. Um, I also want to go to Amy and talk a little bit more about this idea of nonviolent atonement, because so many people were raised with this notion that angry God needed to kill somebody, gave us Jesus, killed his only son. Now God feels better. Yuck. Don't like that theology. What's the replacement, Amy? <laughs> oh boy, uh, I'm still. I, is it wrong as a pastor to say I'm still trying to figure that out? <laughs> Hell no, no, no. Of course not. Um, no, the uh, yeah. For me, this idea of of the angry God, the God that needed um, you know a pound of flesh from me, um, is what I was raised on. It was. Uh, it wasn't until I had kids and I thought, okay, what do I give them? That I thought, hmm can't give them this. (laughs) This is not who God is. And why is it that we have this consistent understanding of, of God? And then we get to the cross and like all this old crap gets all churned up. Um, so for me, this idea of this nonviolent God is, uh, the way that I understand the cross is that this is, um, God through Jesus teaching us how to live without fear. Yeah. And saying, I will be with you till the end. Um, come with me. It's not going to be easy. Um, might not always be good, um, but I am always here walking with you. You don't have to be afraid because Jesus has shown us how to do this. Nice. Um, and that gives me a lot of hope and comfort, uh, particularly right now um, in isolation, in um <laughs> being in a small house with my family, uh, that, (laughs) (laughs) that, uh, you know, that I have a model for how to live in difficult times. Um, and yeah, yeah. 
I, God doesn't want perfection from me. Uh, you know, uh, that is far more helpful and useful theology to me than um, I need to be perfect. Um, and if I screw up, I make I make Jesus cry right there on the cross. Yeah, that's not helpful to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes! I don't know why. The nail goes in. <laughs> you drive another nail into our Lord, Amy. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, one of, one of the one of the summary statements that helps me out a lot uh, that comes from the cross is. Um, there's no place that I can go that Jesus hasn't been already. Yeah. Nothing in my experience is alien to the experience of God. Right. So um, Paul writes that he became sin for us. Right. You know, that's how radical this cross is. Right. Mm-hmm. Jesus becomes sin for us. That means he becomes fully alienated from God. Right. He goes to that alien place that where we dwell so distant from God. Very powerful stuff. And it helps me to have a robust understanding of the Trinity to go through this with. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, in the robust idea of the Trinity, God, the creator, is fully engaged in this agony with his son. It's hard to understand fully, but it's it um, takes away some of that distant judging God who wants the pound of flesh, right? Moltmann, uh, one of my favorite theologians, Jürgen Moltmann, really takes this very far and even says that death itself enters the reality of God. Mm-hmm. That's Ooh. I, I got to sit with that a little bit. That I'm not sure if I'm totally ready for that one. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Mm-hmm. So how else does this scripture help us live our life? It helps us. It bolsters our witness against empire. It protects us in moments of fear uh, when we feel like life is dissolving around us. What else does it do for us? I'm going to go back just a little bit, too. I mean, um, when you talked about, like, Jesus um, kind of embodying all of our life experiences, um, some interesting things that womanist theologians are doing with the cross is talking about the uh, the sexual violence of the cross of Jesus mm. nakedness and exposure mm. there and how oh, wow. that is a comfort to uh, folks who have experienced sexual violence because mm. they know that Jesus knows what that feels like wow um, you know the idea of being uh, harmed and tortured um, you know it's terrible and it also is a comfort to know that Jesus and that God in Jesus knows what that feels like for wow. us. Um, I found that really comforting recently just to think that like I'm I'm in relationship with a God who understands every aspect of my human experience. Wow. Thanks, Um, Amy. And that we see that just literally laid bare um, in this passion story. Um, Mm -hmm. That's another strange um, piece of hope for me. Mm. Yes. The nakedness. What I hear you saying is that it's it's God that we are fully accompanied. Mm-hmm. That right. God joining our humanity means we are fully accompanied by the divine. Yeah. yeah. And that not only are we accompanied, but we are chosen to accompany God. Yeah. yeah. In in God's own life with us. And that is our, I think, our walking into the divine life and walking into the the uh the relationship that is God is yeah. that we accompany God as God accompanies us. Yeah. And it's also not the end of the story. Thank God. Yes. Thank you know, right. <laughs> there's, right. A, there's a, 
uh, surprise ending yes. at uh, the end of all the Gospels. Don't us. give it away, Amy. I won't. I won't. Spoiler. People keep reading. It's so it's so important to me that the resurrected Christ still has the scars. Yeah. I mean, it's for anyone who wants to like break this up and just say the cross. Oh, the cross is just kind of well, that's just a step on the journey to resurrection. Nope. <laughs> this this whole process of God's revelation is one process. It's one thing, and it's all all the truth comes together. The truth is not uh, siloed into separate parts, right? The mm-hmm. risen Christ is the crucified Christ, right? The G- God raises a particular person, Jesus, who had a particular experience so we can live a life like his mm-hmm. and not just life in general, some abstract notion of life. It's a very particular notion of life, of compassion, love, healing, truth, uh, resistance to domination, all these good things. So I think we need I'm to... I'm always uh, oh. troubled by this idea that we have to experience pain in order to experience new life. Um And yet, that is the reality, that in order to really understand what new life is, we have to go through some shit, and it's going to be terrible. Um, And this is another place where we can enter in uh, during this season is, you know, we're going through some stuff, and it's terrible. And there's going to be something beautiful at the end of this. I'm I'm convinced of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And perhaps even along the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus says, you have to lose your life to find it. Mm. And we're losing it. <laughs> oh, man, have we lost it. <laughs> we know it. Somebody find my life, please. <laughs> well, that's a good place to end, I think, my friends. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Amy Yoder McLaughlin from Fraser Mennonite and Malvern for joining us for Bible Banter. I hope you'll have you my back pleasure. again. Thank you, Barb. This has been Bible Banter with Barb and Jarrett, special guest Amy Yoder McLaughlin uh, from Church of St. Martin in the Fields. We are so glad you joined us. Uh, We are reaching out in many ways to our community uh, through online ministry. We have morning prayer every day at 7.30 a.m. Morning meditation, if you can tune in as well, at 8.15-ish. We have Sunday services that we're streaming out to you on Sundays and Bible studies as well, all found in on our website or on Field Notes. So we're doing everything we can to feed God's community, even while the building is closed and the church is spread out. Thank you all and have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Episcopal Church of St. Martin in the Fields in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to join us for online worship on Sunday mornings, found on Facebook, YouTube, and our website, stmartinec.org forward slash worship. We have two offerings, 9.15 a.m. worship together for preschool families, and 10.30 a.m. Holy Eucharist with music. We are also offering weekday morning prayer on Zoom and Facebook, as well as Bible studies. All of these details may be found on our website at stmartinec.org. Our online Holy Week and Easter schedule is also available on our website at stmartinec.org forward slash Holy Week Easter. We look forward to being with you in the digital space. Have a blessed Lent!